All right, we've been going through the Old Testament. We're in First King. We're going into Second Kings today, but we stopped last time at the very last chapter of First Kings. So we get a few more things we want to look at there. So if you turn to First Kings twenty-two, <coughs> excuse me, First Kings twenty-two, where we'll pick it up. And we'll jump in right at the place we stopped at verse forty-one. 1 Kings 22, verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. And Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So Jehoshaphat here, he's the the king of the uh, southern kingdom of Judah, and the Lord's been going kind of back and forth. He'll show us the kings in the northern kingdom and also in the southern kingdom. And we know in the northern kingdom, there wasn't one good, good king out of the bunch. So in the southern kingdom, we did have some, and Jehoshaphat was one of those guys who's on the good side. Uh, It mentions here in verse 43 that he walked in all the ways of his father, but then in the middle of verse, you get to that word, nevertheless. (laughs) And we hate to see those words pop in there because it tells us something wasn't quite right. And it tells us after that it was the high places that were not taken away. And then we'll, we'll look at that a little bit further too. So he mentions uh, Asa, his father. He was a very good king. You know, so we're going to uh, take a look a little closer at him, too. It's, it's cool to see that he followed in his daddy's footsteps because his dad had left a very good example for him. Now, his father wasn't perfect, and we'll see a couple mistakes he made, but he was on the side of the good guys, okay? He did have the reputation that he followed the Lord, And uh, none of us are perfect, right, anyway. So hopefully we do have that reputation. We follow the Lord, okay? And about the high places it mentioned here, there were two types of high places. One type was for the worship of idols, and those had been removed from the land. His father had taken care of that. The other type was for worshiping the Lord God of Israel, and those places were set up when the tabernacle or the temple wasn't available, okay? So at that time, the people in their hearts said, we still want to worship the Lord. We know we don't have that central place of worship. So they set up their own places to do that. Now, we mentioned that before. Those are the places that were still around when uh, Jehoshaphat was here, those high places that were to the Lord God of Israel. But we mentioned before, you know, that it can be dangerous to leave those kind of places around because although they aren't worshiping idols there at the moment, it did leave the door open to at least give a resemblance to look like the high places where the pagans worship their false gods. Uh, they already had a place to worship. The temple was up and running. They, they were told this is where you were supposed to come. So uh, they didn't need those other places. Okay, They should have been left behind. And now there's a temptation there uh, that, that I said looks very similar to the pagan way of worship. So that temptation was something that Judah could have done without. (laughs) They didn't need that. So our lesson for us is we need to be very careful about allowing worldly things to come into our worship for the Lord. You know, there are temptations in an area like that that can really trip us up. 
I think I told you before about a, a young guy that wanted to use beer at his Bible studies to draw some of his friends and his work buddies in, you know. Well, they came all right, but before long, there was more beer than Bible study going on, and eventually, they just dropped the Bible altogether and just went with the beer, you know. You can't mix the ways of the world into Christianity. It won't work. Jesus said you can't serve two gods. It's impossible to do that. And even if you think you can make it look spiritual, we're going to call it a Bible study, it still won't work. So we need to be very careful in this area, all right? And, and Israel's going to get in trouble again because these places were still there, not used for bad at the time per se, but they still had some issues with them. Another thing comes to mind when I think about these people and their high places, okay? These people were going back to something that they didn't need anymore. That they had the temple now, and that's where they were supposed to come to offer their sacrifices under the Lord's very clear direction, okay? And I can't help but wonder, did the devil have them turn around so they were going backward instead of forward? Now, maybe that sounds like a stretch, but it could be, the devil be trying to do that same thing today. I mean, there seems to be a huge wave, almost a tidal wave in our country that's turning churches around and getting them to go back to the reformers, to reform theology, which is also called covenant theology. But why should we go backwards to a time when there weren't a lot of answers for some doctrinal issues? I mean, the reformers came right out of the Roman Catholic Church. They had Roman Catholic doctrine, you know? We've learned so much since the time of the reformers back then. Why throw that away and go backwards? Just because it's a popular thing to do? You know, and, and who do you think might be interested in getting Christians to go backwards instead of forward? Hmm. There's another area where the body of Christ is being encouraged to turn around and go backwards. And that's the area where churches are popping up that want to go back to the Old Testament to get under the law. I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking back to the Old Testament to study it and to learn from it. Obviously, that's what we're doing here. We study the entire Bible from cover to cover. And we're instructed by the Lord to do that, right? But to want to go back under the law and do things that are the Old Testament way, why go backwards? I mean, we've been brought into a new covenant, right? And Jesus fulfilled the old covenant for us, something we could have never done for ourselves. So when we've been blessed with so much grace, why would we want to go back under the law? Why go backwards? And who would be encouraging Christians to go backwards? Now, the Jews in our passage here, they had kept the door open to be able to go backwards because of the high places. They didn't need those places anymore. I believe we need to close the doors that could tempt us to turn around and get us to go backwards. So, let's go forward to the next verse. Let's look at verse 44. It says, also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Just one statement on that, but that was a mistake. And this alliance almost got him killed in that battle we saw last time as we were at the beginning of this chapter. He should have avoided King Ahab rather than make peace with him. You know, that would have been the smart thing to do. Verse 45, now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed was a strong guy, uh, how he stood up at times for the Lord, how he made war 
He really decided to stand up for Israel. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And we'll see more about these things in detail when we get to 2 Chronicles. Verse 46, And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. So if you've got the New King James, I'm sure you've got a footnote that points to a, an interpretation to help you understand who those perverted people were. It says, One practicing sodomy and prostitution in religious rituals. And of course, that's what the pagans were doing who surrounded them in the land. So when Jehoshaphat got in there, he removed those people that remained. So he kind of cleaned up some of the stragglers who had slipped through the cracks during his father's reign. And man, you gotta, you got to keep cleaning things up, don't you? Because people keep trying to slip through the cracks. That's what they do. Verse 47, there was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. It says, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. We're going to get to jump into that story more later on in Second Chronicles, but I want to take a look, just a, a kind of a peek at that in Second Chronicles chapter 20. If you'll turn forward to Second uh, Chronicles, we'll get just a glimpse of this, because we'll, we'll go in it and spend more time meditating on it later on. But uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 35. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 20 verse 35. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, southern kingdom, same guy, allied himself, allied himself with the Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And he allied himself with him, and he had a purpose here, to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion Geber. But Eliezer, the son of Dodavah of Marashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. Then the ships were wrecked so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Now, I want us to see that passage as you turn back to 1 Kings 22 because it had something to do, again, with making bad alliances. So that chapter is definitely linked to the story we have here at the end of 1 Kings in chapter 22. And we see that, we talked about it last time with Ahaziah, or with Jehoshaphat, one of his weak areas was making alliances with people, kind of jumping the gun before he used discernment to say, should I be hanging out with these folks and should I be making deals with them? because the Lord warned against doing that. And you remember one of the pitfalls he had, he would make a decision and make an alliance, and then he would pray about it afterwards. He should have prayed first. So we saw that last time was kind of a big problem with him. So back in chapter 22 of 1 Kings, look down to verse 49. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. <laughs> And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So that little bitty tidbit there tells us Jehoshaphat finally learned something about not running with bad people before he died. So that was a good thing. Some of us are slow learners. The Lord has to keep giving us that same exam over and over again because we don't pass it the first few times, right? 
and uh, we see that with Jehoshaphat. He's still a good guy, still a good king, stood for the Lord, but uh, he did have a hard time in that area. So verse 51, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. So Ahab's son Ahaziah only had a two-year reign, and we'll see uh, more about that a little bit too here. It also says he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. And boy, you think you're, uh, the way you live doesn't have an effect on your kids, right? Uh, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. So basically it's telling us he was leading him into idolatry, just like all these other folks did, even in his own family. And it tells you there in verse 53, for he served Baal and he worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. So he didn't miss a beat on that. He wanted to be like dad and get in the same evil junk. But those uh, last few verses serve as a real good introduction to 2 Kings. So let's just keep going right into 2 Kings verse 1. Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now, Moab had been servants under Israel since the time of King David. Uh, he had conquered them and allowed them to be uh, servitude under Israel. But now they sensed that Israel, the northern kingdom, was weaker after Ahab died. So they took this opportunity to break free from their bondage to Israel. So Israel's decline in power, I like the way somebody said this, Israel's decline in power was part of the judgment of God. And any nation needs to be aware of that principle. <laughs> Once you start turning away from the Lord, your nation is starting to get weak and decay. We can see it ourselves, unfortunately. So notice verse 2 then. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So think about this king now that northern, in the northern kingdom of Israel. He's not a good king either. We saw that. So not only did he lose some of his authority when the people of Moab rebelled, now he's no longer their ruler, he's no longer over them, but now he's also suffered a physical injury as well. Things weren't going well for him. So where do you turn at a time like that? Well, I hope it's not where he turned. <laughs> Look at the second part of verse 2. So he sent messengers, and he said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So he sends his messengers to seek help from a false god. Somebody said this. They said, since he wasn't seeking help from the real god, then he wasn't going to get any real help. <laughs> and <clears throat> excuse me, I like the way he said it, I thought it was kind of funny, but it was true. And where do people turn when they have real problems in their life? Some people turn to alcohol or drugs. Some turn to their horoscope or to psychics. But why not turn to the real God and get some real help, you know? And the real God even cares about you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. Take a look at Romans chapter 8 for a minute. This is amazing. And you, and you chew on this passage for a while. We could have just 
I could have just told you about this, but this is a verse I need you to see if you haven't looked at it in a while. It's one of those that blow your mind about how much the Lord loves you. In Romans chapter 8, and if you look down to verse 31, Josh, I know this is one of your favorite chapters, Romans 8. You've always encouraged us to stay in Romans 8 for a while. In Romans 8, verse 31, when then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if you and I are in a world of hurt and we need some help, we need to find some help somewhere, why not go to the real God who loves you and is waiting for you to come? He's waiting for you to help, you know? So to help you, I mean, so don't listen to any of those thoughts that might come into your mind and tell you that God doesn't care or that he doesn't want to be bothered with your problems. Those thoughts are not true. And where King Ahaziah here in our passage in, in 2 Kings now, when he was in trouble, it showed where his true allegiance lied. He was not a follower of the Lord, but he was a worshiper of a pagan god. And it's interesting and it's sad to see where people turn in troubled times, to see who they trust and who they respect. And you know, the name of this false god, if you caught that, uh, it's called Beelzebub in the Old Testament here. That name stayed around for a long time. If you're familiar with that in the New Testament, Satan is referred to as Beelzebub. Somebody said that men love the gods that are most like themselves. This shows us how very wicked Ahaziah was. So verse 3. So here he is. He's, he's got problems in his kingdom. Moab's taken off. And now his, his own physical body's been injured very badly for what we're going to see. And look at verse 3. I mean, he's already sending these messengers out to this false god. It says, but, this is a good one when you have the Lord intervening here. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. So the Lord is intervening here. Even when this evil king is bent on trying to get help from his false god, the Lord could have just stepped out of the way and said, go for it, good luck with that. But instead, he sends a prophet, and he even grabs the big boy, Elijah. Now, when Elijah comes, of course, the king's not too happy because he's not going to like what he says. But look at it from the Lord's perspective. He's sending a prophet with a message of judgment, yes. But when there's time involved, you still have a chance to repent. I mean, think back to Nineveh. When Jonah brought a message of pure judgment to those people, the whole place repented. They thought, man, if we're dying, we need to get right with God. This guy had the same opportunity. He's not going to take advantage of that. But he did have that chance, okay? Here's a guy, again, bent on doing evil, bent on following his own path of evil, and yet the Lord is intervening. And it makes you wonder how many times the Lord tries to intervene and stop people from going the wrong direction when they need help. I mean, we saw it in some of the other guys here that were so wicked like Ahab. The Lord kept intervening, kept intervening, and he never did 
turn, but the Lord tried, you know? I mean, in the old days, when you, people were going the wrong direction, I, I remember kind of show my age on that one, uh, some people, they would try to go maybe to their uh, horoscope. So they'd be paging through the newspaper, trying to find the horoscope, usually in the back pages there somewhere. But lo and behold, as they're turning their pages, their eyes fall on the page that had all the local churches listed. Why'd they see that? Because the Lord's trying to say, I'm here, I'm here. You don't have to go there. You can come here to the real God for real help. And I could also see somebody back then, too, trying to call their psychic, and they're accidentally dialing the wrong number and getting a Christian instead. <laughs> you know, The Lord can do those kind of things. You know, I'm not sure how people these days, you know, how they try to find things with their new technology going out there, but that doesn't stop the Lord from trying to intervene, you know? It makes you wonder, too, how many times the Lord intervenes in our lives, his own children, to try to help us to make sure we're going the right direction. You know, I have a Bible app on my phone that sends out notifications, and there have been times when something stressful has been going on, and then I'll hear that ding on my phone, and if I can, I'll stop and look, and it'll say something like, your day will go better if you take time out for the Word of God. <laughs> so, and usually it points to a verse or two, you know, and uh, if I look at the, the pop on those, just click on it and it takes me to those verses, they're usually encouraging and comforting, and a lot of times they're right on the money of what you just need to hear. So it does make you wonder, how often does the Lord try to encourage us? I mean, we're his kids. He does this for evil folks. What do you think he does for his own kids, right? And how do you like that great question in this verse that basically says, is there no true God that you can turn to? I mean, he's in Israel, right? It's, it's God's people there. It's his land and everything else. And he's saying, is, is there no real God here that you could actually go to? Do you have to go to a false God? But you know, you think about that. That's what people need to know. That's what we need to let them know, that there is a real God that they can go to and get real help. Now, obviously, King Ahaziah here, he knew about the real God, but he chose to rebel and not to turn to him. And that's sad when people know about the Lord, but they just won't go to the Lord. And we were talking about that earlier, Dave, just before we came up there, that there are people that know, they just don't go. And it's so sad. You notice, too, how Elijah stands out here in this passage. He listens to the Lord and he obeys. This is the exact opposite of King Uzziah. He doesn't want to hear it and he's not going to do anything about it. So Elijah really stands out as a faithful follower. And may we stand out too in this evil society we're living in that's getting worse all the time. And may we stand out as we listen to the Lord and then we obey him. Verse four goes on. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. So this is the message the Lord is giving Elijah to pass on. But you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. It's interesting, Elijah just drops the bomb of judgment against Ahaziah, gives it to his messengers, and then he leaves. His message was delivered, his job was done. That's what I'm supposed to do, give it to you, so I'm gone. Verse five, that when the messengers returned to him, he said to them, why have you come back? So the king, you know, he knew there was no way that these guys could make that trip to the false god where he wanted them to go and then make it back that fast. So he's thinking, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but that, that can't be right. So verse six, 
So they said to him, a man came up to meet us and he said to us, go return to the king who sent you and say this to him basically. Thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now, after hearing this message, you know, the king's got a pretty idea, a good idea of where it came from. He, he knows there is a prophet of God behind this one somewhere. So, uh, verse 7 then, he says, what kind of man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? So he, he's thinking, I think I know who this guy might be. Verse 8, so they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. And I imagine that sigh was probably in there. It's like, oh, you've got to be kidding. So the king knew who Elijah was by this description. But these guys apparently didn't know who he was or wasn't, weren't familiar with him. So imagine this. These guys didn't even know Elijah, but apparently Elijah spoke with such authority they just stopped in their tracks and returned to the king. Even though they had been sent on a special mission by a king. I mean, think about that kind of authority. That's amazing, you know, that they, okay, we got our answer, let's go back. You would have thought that these guys were so afraid of King Ahaziah that they would have followed his orders anyway. Said, yeah, 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 I hear you, but we got to go do our job. No, they stopped and turned around. It reminds you, you know, of what happened with Jesus like this. Take a look at John chapter 7 for a minute. John chapter 7, it's got a, a very interesting event that took place here. If you were reading through the Gospels and you ran across this, it probably got your attention. John chapter 7 down to verse 30. <clears throat> it says, therefore... They sought to take him. They're going to take Jesus here. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priest sent officers to take him. So some of their soldiers. Okay. Uh, if you jumped over to verse 46 or verse 45 in that same passage, uh, Jesus spoke in between this, but then in verse 45, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. <laughs> so the authority that was coming out of Jesus caused these guys to stop in their tracks and turn around and, and go back. You know, so there are times when the Lord speaks so powerfully that even soldiers or messengers come back empty handed. Isn't that amazing? And I wonder if we can't pray for our friends and loved ones that way when they go the wrong direction. Lord, please let them come back empty handed, but let them come back hungry for the truth. And Lord, please then supply them with your truth and wisdom. Wouldn't be a bad way to pray, would it? And by the way, you know, this must have been how John the Baptist looked too because we're told in Matthew 3, John was clothed in camel's hair and that's probably what Elijah wore which made him look so hairy. He had the furry part on the outside. So it says John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. So, uh, you know, they even asked him, are you Elijah? Are you the guy? And 
And John said, no, that's, that's not me. So the Lord here gives us a picture of his prophet, and he does stand out in more ways than one, even in the way he dresses here, besides his faithfulness that stands out to the Lord. So back in uh, 2 Kings uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 9, then the king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So he went up to him, so he's going up to Elijah, and there he was sitting on the top of a hill. And he spoke to him, man of God, the king has said, come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. And somebody said, it's almost like the guy says, hey, you're a man of God, so you need to do this. And he's saying, well, let's see if I am a man of God. Let's let God make that judgment. And if it's true, then fire's going to destroy you. <laughs> sure enough, fire came down. Somebody pointed out, too, how Elijah here had grown in his faith. There was a time when he ran and hid from the likes of Jezebel. But here he is sitting down, facing a captain with 50 of his soldiers. That's a lot of guys. And Elijah apparently doesn't even get up. <laughs> he doesn't tell us he stood up or anything. So last we know, he's just sitting on this hill, kind of minding his own business. He just calls fire from heaven to consume them, and it happens. Wow. Hopefully, we are all growing in our faith more and running away in fear less too. Amen? Yeah. And how do you like the number of soldiers the king sent? He must have figured that it might take a lot of help to capture Elijah. <laughs> this many soldiers seems like overkill. But we can see that even this large number of soldiers could not catch the man of God, <laughs> which he was called here, the man of God. You know, for you and me, the Lord tells us over and over again in his word that we do not need to be afraid, you know? So passages like this remind us how powerful our Lord is and what kind of odds he can overcome. I mean, if that were you and me in the hill, we saw a guy coming up with 50 soldiers under his, his uh, direction, would we say, no problem? We'd probably be sweating a little bit and say, Lord, I hope you're hearing this. I hope you're watching, you know? Yeah, so... This is a little intimidating, right? But our God's much more powerful. This is not a problem for him. Obviously, this fire came and these guys were gone. Do you find it interesting, too, that the captain, he referred to Elijah here as a man of God. Now, if he knew that to be true, then he was foolish to lead his men against him. And somebody pointed out that the captain commanded Elijah to come down. But instead, the fire of God's judgment came down. <laughs> you know, it's best not to mess with the Lord or his people. We even have those warnings in the New Testament, right? Verse 11 goes on. Then, here's the evil king, Ahaziah, then he sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. And he answered and said to him, Man of God, thus has the king said, Come down quickly. <laughs> now this captain decides to get more forceful, and he has the word quickly, thinking, I guess I'll bark that one out there and he'll obey me like my soldiers. But getting more forceful isn't really going to help you when you come against the Lord and his people. The Lord doesn't take orders from man, you know? That's why when we hear about some of these ungodly laws that our country's trying to pass, and we've been praying for those too, we don't need to worry. The Lord may even allow them to have a few victories. 
but they are never going to stop his kingdom. You know, even the gates of hell itself cannot prevail against Christ building his church. The Lord told us that. The foolishness of man, I tell you. So verse 12. So Elijah answered and said to them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. Again, he sent a third captain. So Ahaziah is still coming here. He sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with him and said, Man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Look, fire has come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. So the evil king here, he's as persistent as the devil because <laughs> the devil doesn't seem to get it and he just tries to keep coming at you as well, right? But when the Lord has got this stand up here, it's not going to change things, right? This captain had learned the lesson and he demonstrated the fear of the Lord. And it's cool to see him concerned about the men under him too. Did you see him pleading for their lives as well? He sounds like a good guy in a bad army, right? Somebody said that maybe he looked down at the ground and he saw the two burnt spots from the last two group of soldiers who came against Elijah and maybe that helped him get a little more humble before he spoke. I think that would be pretty good evidence like, oh, I don't think I'll stand there or there. Let's see if we can't find a better spot. So verse 15, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, now that this guy's humbled himself before him and the Lord. He says, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and he went down with him to the king. Now the Lord here even let Elijah know that this guy wasn't trying to pull off anything. So Elijah didn't have to be afraid to go with him, you know? And when the Lord gives us a desire and encouragement to go do something that we might normally think, I don't know if that's a good idea, that sounds kind of scary. If the Lord is saying, I want you to go, we do not have to sweat it. Whatever happens, the Lord designed it to happen, so don't worry about that. Verse 16 goes on. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to acquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, this is Elijah now speaking directly to the king, he said, Because you've done that, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Is that why you did that? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah now gets to tell the king God's message face to face. And I don't know, maybe the king thought that Elijah might be intimidated if he was in the presence of the king. Maybe he might change his message to something milder or more of a message of blessing rather than a message of judgment. But it was God's message. It wasn't Elijah's, Elijah's message to change anyway. So you and I can learn from this, you know, we don't water down God's message when we have a chance to present it to somebody. It's a message from God. It's not our message to change anyway. And we might come up with different methods approach it, but the message has to be the same. The true gospel, the real gospel. Christ died for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day. And if somebody rejects that, there's nothing wrong with us saying, 
To reject that means you're choosing to go to hell for all eternity to burn in the lake of fire. God's already warned us about that. That's the full message if they need to hear it. We don't need to water that down. It's, oh, well, it's okay. As long as you believe something, you're good. No way. We can't do that. Don't change God's message. Now, we're told, too, as we started uh, in the last chapter, that Ahaziah, this evil king, he only reigned for two years in the northern kingdom, and now we know why. <laughs> he fell through the lattice of his upper room, and instead of going to the true God of Israel for help, he intentionally chose to go to a false god. And can you imagine that the whole story about him sending messengers and then dealing with Elijah face to face, he must have been in severe pain that entire time. Now it shows us we can certainly be stubborn and hard-headed at times, huh? Wow. And by the Lord letting Ahaziah know here that he would die from his injuries, this would also let him know he needed to repent and get right with the Lord soon. You know, some believe that Ahaziah sent messengers here to the false god because he knew he was hurt pretty badly and he really didn't want to hear the truth. It's almost like saying, I know I'm really sick, but get the dumbest, worst doctor you can find because I don't want to hear the truth about what's going on. Right? Some people think that might be what he was doing, but actually the king heard this message, the true message from the true God. He heard it at least twice. First from his messengers and then from Elijah himself. So he had two chances to repent right there. Verse 17 goes on. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah has spoken. God said he was going to die. Guess what? He didn't repent. He died. Because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. And the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. So this guy who became king after him was his brother. He was another son of Ahab. And since Ahaziah only reigned for two years, he probably didn't have a son that was old enough to take the throne after him. So one of his brothers became king. He's still in their kingly line for what they could see. And it is kind of confusing a little bit here because now the king in the northern kingdom and the king in the southern kingdom were both named Jehoram. <laughs> so you had to really distinguish which one you're talking about. And that only lasted a short time. You know, but it's enough to confuse you at the, at the onset here. So verse 18, now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And we're going to see more about that when we get, uh, get into chronicles. Again, we'll get some more details. Now I want us to consider just for a very brief moment, take a look at Elijah for a second here. He referred to himself as a man of God, according to to God putting his stamp on that one. And I want us to see what does the Lord say about being a man of God? Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to end with this here. Just some passages I think it would be really good to meditate on if you get a chance. Because the Lord, I mean, he tells us you know, exactly what he means by being a faithful man of God. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 is one place the Lord talks about this. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, 
O man of God, there's that title, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. One more passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a few pages over. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that, notice here, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Lord tells us very clearly what we need to reject, what we need to pursue with our life. He also tells us we need to take in the word and keep taking in the word. And uh, that's how the Lord equips us, equips the man of God, it says, for every good work. And that's, thank the Lord, why we go through the entire Bible in our studies. We want to be thoroughly equipped by the Lord for anything he calls us to do. And that's why we, we spend so much time studying his word. So uh, let's close in prayer at this point. I thank the Lord for the, uh, the things he shows us in the Old Testament and New Testament. He ties it all together. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for these lessons that you show us. And Lord, we just praise you that uh, you want us to, to really know your word so we can know you more. And Lord, that's the end of the goal, that we would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we, we would love our neighbors ourselves. So Lord, you're working those things in us, and we pray, continue to cleanse us every single time we get into your word. Continue to strengthen us in the faith as we open the word and we're receptive to what your spirit teaches us. Father, we give you the praise for what you did today in our life as we spent time in your word and I do pray you would continue to bring us back to that point of being a faithful man of God for you. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing. We give you back all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.